Welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. Welcome, everybody. My name is Gabby Hefesi. I'm Managing Director of ACG Analytics. Thank you for joining us today for one of our first crypto calls. I'm joined today by John East, our Director of Research, and Rustem, our technology asset, to lay the groundwork of the policy that we believe is coming down the pipeline for crypto. I think as the space has grown so precipitously in the last year, in the last decade, it has become unavoidable for Washington to really confront this as an issue. That said, I think it's not the easiest topic for Washington, both because it is complicated to understand the technologies, the finances, and there's just the confusion of who has the jurisdiction for this regulation. What we will get into is what regulators are at play and what we know so far. As ACG, we are going to stay very much in the regulatory and policy lane, so Congress and regulation. We are not going to go at all into which coins we like or what we think more generally about the technology, the technicalities, the space, very much policy focused. So with that, let's start actually with with Congress. So we've had, I think, four hearings in the last month in both Senate Banking Committee and House Financial Services Committee on crypto, some of them on the central bank digital currency, what with others just on crypto regulation in general. Bruce, what are your main takeaways? I would say that the main takeaways are that Congress is very interested in this, and that's being uh, fueled more and more by headlines about cryptocurrency and crypto-related issues in the news, like the Colonial Pipeline ransom attack. And from these hearings, I think we've seen bipartisan-ish support. There's definitely concern over the consumer protection issues and its use in illicit activities and the fear that this has gone unregulated and that we're setting ourselves up for financial issues in the future, both for the general market, but also for individual consumers. So you said generally bipartisan. Where do you think the partisanship really plays out in this? I would say that for the Democrats, a lot more of the focus is negative on crypto, that they see it as an area ripe for scam and uh, consumer protections are needed there. And then I think on the Republican side, you get agreements that there are needed consumer protections, but that they don't want to overregulate the industry and that they don't want to have the federal government come into competition with private sector with things like the uh, central bank digital currency is a big point of contention. I think I agree with you that generally there is consensus that this is a space that's generally unregulated right now, that the regulators don't know how to approach it, who should approach it, and Congress is calling for regulation. Are there any bills that we should be watching, or is this really an un, not flushed out to the extent that we think anything is really coming down the pipeline soon? Well, in terms of assigning regulatory jurisdiction, there's the Eliminate Barriers Innovation Act, already passed the House with bipartisan support, and it's sitting, waiting for the Senate action. It would direct the SEC and the, the CFTC 
to establish a joint digital task force and sort out the jurisdiction between the agencies, which arguably should have been done sooner. But as far as concrete regulation bills in Congress, there's nothing yet. So, John, do we need to wait for that bill to actually get passed, or is that enough guidance for the regulators to move forward? No, I wouldn't say that bill has to pass. That's that's Congress sending a message to the SEC and the CFTC, why aren't you looking at this? They have the power to do so all by themselves to set up a joint task force, and they should, quite frankly. So I would expect that we might see that established without the passage of legislation. And I think the other thing that we've learned from the hearings is what the concerns are. Like, Ruth, you mentioned consumer protection, but... I think there was a lot mentioned on anonymity. I think there was a lot mentioned on exchanges. Is that really what we're looking at for the the spaces right for regulation? I feel like there is room and will in Congress for regulation on both. Uh, with Senator Warren's recent letter to Gensler, you know, kind of pushing for the SEC to outline exactly what their authority is in this matter on consumer investing and on exchanges, and then for Congress to determine after that, like what they're going to do. I think anonymity and tax collection is a, a huge issue. So you might see it in the way that you, know, you might have to track your transactions, although that your counterparty won't see who you are. In that, though, some say that you are taking away a little bit of the allure of this technology to begin with because the central government is coming in. What What's interesting, I think, and John, we talk about this in regulation in general, but we were talking about it as it pertains to crypto, is there's a level in the industry people we talk to that regulation will be good because it will eliminate uncertainty and it will probably create a smoother system. And there's that line and there's the line of overregulation. Generally, do you think we find that middle ground and that we can get to that sweet spot or do you overregulate and then bring it back? Or does it fluctuate depending on who's in charge? Well, I think there are a myriad of different issues. So it, it isn't a matter of regulate or not regulate, but having to look at so many complex technological issues is difficult for lawmakers. There are very few lawmakers that have really focused on this. You know, good news in some ways for people who care about this this larger space. Patrick McHenry, who is the ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee, is one of the lawmakers who has been interested in this topic for years, and it started with his interest in fintech, and that was several Congresses ago. So he's well-positioned to help drive the conversation. But we've had, you know, a sort of falling out amongst Democrats and Republicans on the House Financial Services Committee regarding how the working groups are supposed to come together to produce any draft legislation, and it looks like the chair of the committee, Maxine Waters, has sort of pulled the rug out from under bipartisan working groups and is trying to establish, uh, you know, purely partisan working groups amongst Democrats. Then you head over to the Senate side. That's always the best place to try to find compromise. But you have, you know, uh, the ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee, Patrick Toomey. Now, he's retiring in two years, but he's been very critical of 
the federal government coming in and, and squashing regulation. And he's probably fairly far apart from the chairman, Senator Brown, but Senator Brown hasn't focused as much on this issue. It's, he has a lot of other priorities. So we have a slow-moving process in Congress to understand. And that's, you know, one, one reason that Senator Warren sent the letter that she sent to the SEC is because it's not clear what, what powers exist for the regulators to come in. There probably needs to be a coordinated, concerted effort among regulators in this space. And so she's looking to see if there are gaps in our current legal framework that need to be closed or issues that need to be addressed. And it reminds me very much of the net neutrality debate that, you know, during the Obama administration, where you were trying to, like, regulate the Internet using a statute that was created for phone transmission lines. And it caused all sorts of, of problems in trying to ascertain whether, you know, the FCC really had the authority to do what it was doing. You have a similar issue over at the OCC regarding fintech charters. Well, so clarity from Congress would be helpful to the regulators, but it's not we, – we probably are going to have a situation where the uh, Biden administration tries to start working on these issues and – shoehorn what they're doing into their existing legal powers. And I think it makes sense to have sort of a joint committee between the SEC and the CFTC, because one of the things that's often talked about when you look at cryptocurrencies is that you have some tokens that are really acting as commodities, you have some tokens that are acting as securities, you have some that are just currencies, and if you were to try to funnel it into the existing financial system, it does spin across several regulatory agencies and you don't want different policies and you don't necessarily want to jam it into the existing system. So let's go through the regulators because you have SEC, you have CFTC, you have OCC, and then you have Treasury and in that you have ESA. So could we just go through what traditionally falls into each each bucket and what, what we know about them and who's heading them, whether it's acting or confirm? So the United States is really unique in its regulatory approach to securities in that we have two different agencies which more or less regulate similar financial products and processes. So people are familiar with the Securities and Exchange Commission, but long before the Securities and Exchange Commission existed, we had farmers trading, you know, wheat futures. And so we have the Commodity Futures Trading Commission there was a real attempt, both from then Chairman Barney Frank and Chairman Dodd, to merge the CFTC and the SEC to prevent these problems of regulatory arbitrage. The jurisdiction over the CFTC belongs to the Senate and House Agriculture Committees. They were not going to give up their jurisdiction, and so it never happened. So that's one of the reasons that FSOC was created. The Secretary of the Treasury is the head of FSOC. That is a body in which all of the financial regulators are summoned at the Treasury Secretary's direction. They sit in a room. It's a very opaque process. They do print minutes, but they're not very detailed. We don't really get to know who said what about what. We just know the general matters that were discussed. But that is an attempt to coordinate financial policy through the administration to prevent gaps in regulatory enforcement that can lead to systemic risk. And then we have the OCC deal with bank charters. Right now, you have an acting head of the CFTC and you have an acting head of the OCC. That means that 
the regulatory process at those two agencies on this issue and in any other major rulemakings is likely to be fairly slow. And that's true for a few reasons. One is that the acting heads don't always have the same power to promulgate significant regulations, but also they and staff don't want to start working on something and find that their work has been undermined when you do get a Senate-confirmed director in place. So that leaves really looking at this is Gary Gensler, who's the SEC chairman. So the other thing to get into then, if we're not expecting Congress to act despite the antagonistic sense that we get from them in this space, but we do know that the regulators are all looking at this, so what is the process? Can the SEC really start just regulating without Congress? Well, I think that goes back to that letter that uh, Senator Warren wants. The first step is to, to figure out what issue in the crypto space you want to tackle, because you're not going to tackle everything at once. Not speaking hypothetical, let's say that issue is what she brought up, which is regulating exchange, which is what she sees as the one of the tools to help consumer protection and avoid these scams that is going up on like social media. I think it was 80 million last year, up tenfold from the year before. So let's just put that in there as what we're talking about. So the SEC probably has broad authority to regulate exchanges. They always do. They've got it in 1933. So, but. You know, if there's anything unique that wasn't contemplated in a, you know, an almost 100-year-old statute, although it's been amended, then they have to identify what powers they have and whether those powers get them to where they want to go. But there's another step that can happen where the SEC has interpreted what it believes its statutory powers are. Events have changed. The world has changed. Administrations have changed. And the staff start a rulemaking process and reinterpret their own view of their statutory powers. That has to go through notice and comment. On issues like this that are highly technical, that is going to be an eye-watering, complicated, long notice and comment. This is not something where there's likely to be a very quick two-month rulemaking under the Administrative Procedures Act. Quite frankly, even simple rulemakings over at the SEC tend to take the better part of the year. But so, the SEC could begin the process of reinterpreting its own powers. Those are given deference by the court system. It's called Chevron deference. But, you know, we have to watch for the meetings, see what the commissioners discuss, look at what policy statements are emanating from the agency, and then wait for the rulemaking process to begin. The worst thing that can happen, and Ruth alluded to it earlier, is that Congress legislates from headlines. So if there is some ransomware attack on an oil pipeline, stuff like that continues to happen and people can lay the blame on the way that some cryptocurrency or technology or exchange works, a fire is going to get lit and what would ordinarily be a careful deliberative process will become a rushed one. Well, it really does seem like we're primed for that, though. I mean, unless the regulators get ahead of Congress here, it seems a little bit inevitable that you're going to get a catalyst like that that then triggers Congress to feel that they need to respond to it. And that guides the regulation in probably a harsher and less well-thought-out way. So that that is a risk. So I think right now in our policy percentages, we have Congress actually putting a bill on this at 20%, but that is completely subject to one of these catalysts because that, as you and Ruth said, completely changes the landscape and kind of the, the way that Congress will feel. But if we were to look at just the regulation, we're really looking at at least a year 
And then, I mean, it wasn't even on the SEC's agenda, correct? So there will be a second agenda coming out later this year, and it wasn't explicitly mentioned, but doesn't mean they couldn't add something in. But when they first released that agenda, it was not on their priority list. And, and that's important, what you just said, Ruth, because it is typical that agencies outline their major rulemakings, even a lot of minor rulemakings, in the regulatory agenda. It just came out, as you said. doesn't mean that nothing can be added, but it's a good indication of where the current priorities at the various agencies are. So one of the things that was talked about, we were at the Bitcoin conference down in Miami, which was a very crazy scene <laughs> for anybody else who was there. One of the topics that would come up constantly was whether this Bitcoin ETF gets approved. Ruth, if you were to go there and say what I think your perspective is, which is that it won't get passed, I think nobody there would believe you or would have even heard that as a, as a likely outcome. What do you think about the ETF and why are you negative? Well, when they don't believe me, I would point them at all of the recently rejected Bitcoin ETFs as this has been a cycle the SEC has been going through where they consider the application, and then they usually delay or postpone their judgment for a while, and then they deny it. This has been what they've done for like the last eight or nine uh, application cycles, and I really don't see that changing without some sort of shift within the SEC that I don't think we're seeing yet. What we've heard from Gensler, you'd interpret as negative so far, right? The little we know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say that he's definitely looking for more regulation and acknowledges there are issues in the current system. So I guess negative, yeah. Although I guess you can make the argument that if there were in a big, in an ETF, it would be more regulated just in itself. So what do we know about Yellen? How does she feel? How much does she know about crypto? She seems receptive to the idea of incorporating cryptocurrencies into the United States financial system. Like she definitely acknowledges that they can be useful to the public in terms of like her tentatively supporting looking more into a CBDC. But like Gensler, she also acknowledges the issues with consumer protection and the need for increased regulation, particularly on the exchanges. So I'd say she's kind of falling in line with the rest of the Biden administration officials on their stance. Right. It, it almost seems like we're going through a, a wave somewhat globally of a recognition that crypto might actually not be, might be a threat to government and government control and does seem like there is a reversal in the attempt to regulate it. But with that, you do lose some of the technological advances, which I think is brings us to our last topic which is central bank digital currencies. So Powell has said that he will wait for some direction from Congress for the Fed to start a pilot program. So we'll talk about that. But 80% of central banks around the world have begun pilot programs. And I think are sort of waiting to see what the U.S. will do. There's a geopolitical issue, of course, with China, who's really moving on their digital currency and moving away from a decentralized one, which clearly fits into the Chinese zeitgeist. So do we think that a CBDC is likely to go through Congress and, and pass that over to the Fed to really start that pilot? Well, I'd say right now the support in Congress is very mixed. So from we've had two central bank digital currency focused hearings where we saw 
pretty cautious democratic support, you know, citing that it could provide a more inclusive financial field at helping the under and non-banked by avoiding overdraft fees and things like that. But you also have some of the Republicans, like Senator Toomey, the ranking member on Senate banking, coming out very against it. And then other Republicans who are a little more in the middle. I think the main concern there is they're worried about putting the Fed in competition with private banks, which would need to be addressed. Powell's made it very clear he's not going to move on this without congressional approval. So you're going to need to convince at least some of the Republicans to join you. Yeah, and it just seems a little bit early, even in just research, data, and understanding it in Congress. It doesn't seem like something that's going to happen anytime soon. So I think in that there might be an assumption that a lot of central banks around the world will decide to move along and move it forward without the Fed. Now that can change, and I think there could be, there is some attention paid to the dollar as a reserve currency, so there's a lot of different elements that flow into the decision of the CDBC. Personally, I, I do believe that it, it will happen eventually. I, I definitely agree with you there. I don't, I don't even see the pilot program happening this year. You know, I think that's a long way off. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. And if you need to reach us or if you want to set up a call, you can reach out to Mei Wong or email research at acg-analytics.com and hope everyone has a lovely afternoon.